hop with my bros before hoes. Yeah, I ain't got no need for contraception. Put my bros before my hoes, that's no misconception. Have more money, I can blow, so I'm gonna send it. New PlayStation and a whole new point collection. That's what I got, no girl, it's a miracle. Now I'm running up the game like a clinical. I can focus on myself, ego digital. Don't need anybody else, some conditions Johnny, how is everybody? Michael, what's going on? I feel like the chair is a little high, guys. How is everybody? What's up? Let's get a show going. Michael, I'm doing good. Bonjour, ça va? Mon ami? How are you, sir? Good to see you. Justin J, what's up? Good to see you, sir. What's up? Cubing Speed, good to see you, sir. Good to see you, sir. Guys, you ever hear of a thing called the mouse experiment, the utopia, the mouse utopia? Of course you have. It's something that's been well uh, well covered in the Manosphere and, you know, outside of the Manosphere. Obviously, you guys have recommended this to me many a times. I've thought it was very interesting, and Tribe of Men did cover this today. If you don't know, Tribe of Men is a Manosphere guy. Fantastic show. Very good. I highly recommend him. If an admin wants, please feel free to put his uh, link in the chat. I got, you know, he puts out great stuff. Very thought, well thought out. Very, very nice. Polished. It's a good channel. Um, so he covered it a little bit earlier, and I was like, you know what? This is a good thing to bring to the boys, and let's go ahead and kind of talk about and cover ourselves because it's interesting. This is one of those things that uh, is – it's unique, so to speak. So – which I didn't intend for that to rhyme, but it kind of did rhyme, which is a little lame. I'm playing with several other settings over here, like taking over camera control so we can zoom in, which sounds really silly when you think about it. Not that you would want to zoom in on this face, but just every now and again for talking points. But getting the studio up and running and a little bit more lighting, I'm playing with some things and We'll see how it goes. Good to see everybody. I've gotten the mic close. Someone was like, get the microphone closer. So, you know, the mic's close. Good to see everybody. John Fernandez. Hey, John, just wrapping up lunch. Good to see you, sir. Sweet potato and chicken sounds phenomenal. Cinnamon, yep. Oh, grass-fed butter. Okay. Love butter for sure. 
But uh, yeah, man, sweet potatoes, cinnamon, and, and uh, butter. Fantastic. Mice dystopia. Exactly, my man. We're going to talk about it here today. Todd Packer, what's up? Leave the strags in the dust. Save yourself and your fellow brothers, men. Save yourselves. Yes, Calhoun's experiment. Indeed, Calhoun was a wise man. Obviously, we've discussed uh, some other things that are very pertinent, but I want everyone to pay attention because this is what society is doing right now. And this has been elevated and heightened, in my personal opinion, my humble opinion, this has been heightened a lot by social media and the relevance of phones in our pocket and constant connection. It puts us in a constant state of social interaction, which is not something humans are always supposed to be doing. A little here, a little there, a little every day. Hello. Hey, Miss Jones, back to your own whatever. And But now we're always on guard. We're always social. We got to behave a certain way and we're always kind of visible and it wasn't meant to be like this. Primo, Derp, what's up, gents? What's up? Let's talk about how when everything is a, a utopia, I know we throw that word around sometimes, but the idea is when everything is like totally perfect and we don't have to work too hard to get to things and do things, uh, then oftentimes that leads to chaos. Boys. Often that leads to chaos. Because it needs, we need to do something. We need to have some level of, of danger in our lives. Not necessarily danger, but if everything is completely perfect and always runs perfect and efficient and always, and there's never any ripples in the water, we never learn to quite, you know what I mean? Plus, it's not just the social interaction that helps teach us to become social. It's the time away from social interactions with others that make us reflect on our interactions. If we don't have any time for interflection and reflection on what happened when I said this to so-and-so and how did they respond and how did I, it means that we never get to fully digest and process um, how our interactions and our behaviors have a, a direct impact on other people and their lives, and their experience of their personal day that they're going through. Because we're all going through a day. I don't know if you guys know this, but like you're having an experience, I'm having an experience throughout our days. And the importance of this is you need to reflect on that. How did I have an impact on this person that I dealt with today, or talked to today, or interact with today? How was it that I was able to make a difference? Let's get into this, and we're going to talk about like I'll pause it and stop it some for fair use properties also, but um, just so we can kind of reflect on it a little bit. But the important thing to remember is that when there's no iron to sharpen the steel, when there's no battle to be fought, so to speak, no difficult thing to do, uh, it tends to be bad for us humans. We need a little something extra to keep us, you know what I mean? doing the necessary things to maintain life. You know, as things get easier and easier, less people are farmers, less people are doing things, less people know how to make clothes, less and less and less and less and less. But the fact is, if we couldn't get it the easy way that it was delivered to us for so many years, we would need to know these things. And this is how many societies can fall or have fallen in the past. Let's watch, guys. Also, fair use to down the rabbit hole. You guys can check them out. You can link to his uh, 
I'll see if I can find the link for you in a moment and throw it up there for you guys. But down the rabbit hole, you'll find him. Of the strange research to come out of mid-1900s America, there is little with legacy as enduring or as terrifying as the Mouse Utopia experiments. Taking throughout the 50s, 60s, and early 70s, the grim fate of the subs was published in the national magazine Scientific American, and the experiments themselves were largely taken as apocalyptic portents. In a post-war United States, the language used to describe the results such as behavior sync became synonymous with fears of an overpopulated world and violent, deviant behavior in cities. Today, they are preserved with... No way that could happen here, Gus. Thankfully, you don't have to worry about that with the human race. ...than fiction, such as Channel 4's conspiracy thriller Utopia and the classic animated movie The Secret of Nim. Our world began changing. So what were the Mouse Utopia experiments? Shortly after World War II, a group known collectively as the Environmentalists were making a large push to prevent environmental degradation, as well as over-exploitation of the planet's renewable resources. Among these people were a group specifically known as the Neo-Malthusians, a term referring to the 18th and 19th century English scholar Thomas Robert Malthus. Malthus proposed that, while the world's population may increase exponentially, food production can only increase linearly, leading to an eventual mm. subsistence level of existence for the human race that became known. Which is really, <clears throat> is necessary. I mean, it's unfortunate, but we either make more food or we, we don't make enough food, one or the other. And at the rate we're going right now, we're making less and less food and growing less and less and having less. And people are, oh, don't eat the, just eat Z-bugs. Eat Z-bugs, allegedly. But I mean, this is, this is where it leads to. When you, too many people always connected, you're not supposed to always be connected. You're supposed to have some time away from the hustle and bustle of life. That's why in city planning and in designing, they factor this in and they make, well, you can only have so many occupants per, per this many rooms and square feet. Everyone needs their own personal space for a reason because it, it affects human behavior when you don't have that. And you don't have that. Most places, it's a little too pricey. So, I mean, even you might have a one bedroom somewhere with two people sharing it. You might have four people in a two bedroom and have roommates and just all kinds of stuff with people trying to exist in the world of high rents and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you're supposed to. They factor in in cities like, let's put a park. We need this much green space is what they literally call it in city planning. How much green space do you have? How much fresh air? Because when you couple people together in large numbers, guys, it's effectively a cage. I mean, when you design a building and a structure in a city and a you're designing a very large uh, place where humans will congregate, congregate in mass. And the size of the structures or dwellings or personal space that each person has is relative to the behavior of the occupants, the humans, guys. As a Malthusian catastrophe. 
While advancements such as the Green Revolution saw that this didn't come about, the Neo-Malthusians acknowledged his concerns about overpopulation and feared that this pattern would result in the collapse of civilization or, at best, have extreme adverse effects. These fears were given a platform in writing of the time, especially in works such as William Folk's Road to Survival in 1948, and perhaps most famously, Silent Spring by Rachel Carson in 1962. Before the movement's explosion of popularity in the 50s and 60s, however, researchers had already begun work investigating the effects of population growth, and among them was a man named John B. Calhoun. Born in 1917, Calhoun took an early interest in science, specifically ornithology, publishing his first paper on birds when he was 15, but over time, his interest would change. By the time he received his PhD, his focus had turned to ethology, the study of animal behavior. When his education was concluded, he moved with his family to Towson, Maryland to begin research at John Hopkins University in nearby Baltimore, but the research itself would be conducted much closer to home. In 1947, shortly after he arrived, he approached his neighbor about using some of their neglected property for an experiment. The scope would be massive, and according to Calhoun, his neighbor probably didn't expect such a scale when they agreed to let him use the forested area. Taking over a quarter of an acre, Calhoun constructed a massive habitat, complete with food. Imagine that today, guys. You go to your neighbor, hey, uh, can I, help me out, I want to do something with a quarter acre of your land or whatever. I want to do something with a tiny little spot of your land. Hey, neighbor. Hey, neighbor. Yeah, no, it's just going to be a series of trailers that are going to have a bubbling substance. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Water, ample shelter, and protection from predators, with the only limiting condition being their restriction to the quarter acre living space. He affectionately provided his enclosure a name, Rat City. Unfortunately, no publicly available images of Rat City exist. Calhoun was very familiar with Norway rats, having performed research on them for his doctorate, and he estimated that Rat City could sustain approximately 5,000 individuals, though if they reached this number, the population density would be tight. He began by placing five pregnant females in the enclosure, providing ample genetic diversity, and soon the population was increasing exponentially. But then something surprising happened. Rather than the population increasing to fill the space of the enclosure, it quickly leveled off at 100. Leveled off. <clears throat> the population levels off. You know, and this is kind of what's going on right now, allegedly in, uh, you know, all around the world, government, whatever, wherever you want to talk about. This is a great way to cull populations, all of the things that are allegedly going on right now with foods and with everything else. And with you see, let's let's pay attention and see how this could potentially um, be interacting with how our lives are today. At 50 members, he also noted some behavioral peculiarities. Despite the large size of Rat City, the residents seemed to gather around just a few places, forming social groups of 12 and limiting themselves to specific feeding locations. He would Huh. So they were feeding together. Conclude the experiment after two years and four months, during which the population Look here, Derp 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 Derpington says it right here, guys. I mean, this is where we're at right now. As human beings, we're to the point where we're not repopulating, we're not having enough babies to replace ourselves and continue the things like work and school. And you see, you think that, well, if everybody just has a baby each year, I mean, there'll be still still be some people and 
not society needs X amount of people to run the machines and keep the plumbing flowing and the electricity flow, all of these things to happen. And in order for that to happen, people have to be graduating from school at a rate of X number to fill those jobs. And we're not creating enough people to go through the schooling to make it to get to that number because through the process of learning and getting there, people are going to have car accidents and die off. People are going to die off from the cold or the whatever the, Things are going to happen and we need this many people to get to here alive at this age. And for that to happen, we know that given our history as a country, that this many people have to be going through school and process and to, just to run the stuff that we have currently. All of this is one big thing. And I know that you and I can't wrap our individual minds uh, around what it takes to run a society of our size, but they've done the math on everything. We're not making enough people. Now, and it's a largely because of this behavioral thing that happened with the mice. And you'll notice that we humans are behaving largely like these mice. We'll talk about that in a minute, but let's. ...never grew over 200. Careful observation revealed the cause, high infant mortality. For some reason, as the experiment progressed and the population increased, the mothers were not caring for their young properly, leading to most of them dying before. Oh, so things got so comfortable that the mothers actually weren't caring for the young as, as necessary. They weren't learning enough to maintain life. The, the baby rats, who still were very dependent on the mother, weren't getting what they needed from the mother in terms of nurturing, loving. Let's continue. For reaching maturity. Calhoun had his theories as to why this was, but to prove them, he would need more data. In 1954, about five years after his initial experiment concluded, he was hired by the National Institute of Mental Health, often shortened to NIM. Within the Laboratory of Psychology, Calhoun was given ample resources to continue his work. With a team, he began feverishly designing and constructing habitats, sometimes referred to as universes, where he performed numerous smaller scale and more controlled versions of his original rat study on a domesticated strain of albino Norway rat. These rats would want nothing. All physical needs for a healthy rat lifestyle would be provided for them, including food, water, climate control, and nesting material. Because they were white. Calhoun spent eight years no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's a terrible joke. But it's, it's some people think that this is, you know, going on. This, you know, alleged years perfecting his enclosures and methods until finally, in February of 1962, an article of his writing was published in the magazine Scientific American. The article was entitled Population Density and Social Pathology. His opening paragraph ominously reads so, quote, in the celebrated thesis of Thomas Malthus, vice and misery impose the ultimate natural limit on the growth of populations. Students of the subject have given most of their attention to misery, that is, to predation, disease, and food supply as forces that operate to adjust the size of a population to its environment. But what of vice? Setting aside the moral burden of this word, what are the effects of the social behavior of a species on population growth, and of population density on social behavior? Unquote. To answer this question, he cited six of his experiments in particular, all with similar composition and concerningly similar results. The design of these habitats was simple. The layout was a rectangle measuring 10 feet by 14 feet, 
divided into four equal sections by electric fences. Three of these fences sported bridges over which the rats could climb, while one fence lacked such a bridge, essentially creating one long space that wrapped in on itself. Each section was equipped similarly, with a food hopper, water, and nesting areas accessible by spiral staircases. But Calhoun, leveraging his experience with the rats, made special changes to encourage specific behaviors. He enticed the rats to use one of the center pens by making the spiral staircase to that pen's living spaces shorter than the others, though he admits this was a comparatively small factor. But the more but it was a factor and if you look at the way houses are built today versus the types of houses that are built to house large numbers of people in a small dense community you can easily tell that this has an effect on human behavior as well if you live in a large upward city you're going to have higher crime rates higher instances of violence higher instance of people being on top of each other and it causing more mania or anger or deviant behavior or drug use or you see what I'm talking about? Whereas if you go towards the suburbs or the wherevers where you might have gated communities or you might have communities of single level dwellings, big yards, open green spaces, you have less of these types of behaviors. But even in the rat world, in this utopia experience, uh, you understand that the let's see where the people chose to go to, where the rats goes to. Not people, sorry, but kind of. Sidious change was to their food supply. In half of the experiments, Calhoun supplied powdered food, but in the other half, he placed feeders of his own design, consisting of hard pellets behind a wire mesh. Half of his experiments began with 32 mice, the other half with 56, of evenly male and female composition, and all having just reached maturity. Calhoun estimated that approximately 40 rats could comfortably be housed in these enclosures, but he would allow these populations to increase to 80 before he would cull them. Almost immediately after introduction, things began to go awry. The females, unsurprisingly, spread themselves out somewhat evenly through the pens, but after, yeah, I bet. after the males jockeyed for dominance and those of highest rank were determined, they began to distribute themselves strangely. Less dominant male rats will typically awaken earlier and begin to wander and forage for food, and due to the design of the pen, this meant that they usually would end up in the center sections to eat. During this time, the dominant males of the outer pens would wake up and begin guarding their respective territories. Since there was only one entrance ramp to either end, the dominant males of either pen would bar the return of the less dominant this is Human Behavior 101. Eric Zombro, thanks so much. I appreciate your honesty with that information, sir. This is how it works, guys. If you want to have more mania or a population of people that are um, easier controlled, you need them to be super stressed out. You need to be them to be super distracted because the ones that aren't as distracted are going to be more free and less controllable dominant males, forcing the male population to clump in the center pens, while the dominant end males protected what came to be their harems. Only a few other deferential males were allowed to remain. These few remaining males began exhibiting odd behavior, though they would spend most of their time in the burrows with females hiding away from the dominant male, they would never attempt to mate with any of them. Instead, perplexingly, they would try to mate with the dominant male, and even more perplexing, the dominant male would not fight these attempts. At the same time as this was happening, the effect of Calhoun's special feeders was taking hold. 
Since procuring food was such a lengthy process at the hard food feeders, it was common for one rat to join another while in the process of feeding. By this method, the rats slowly became conditioned to eating in the company of other rats until, eventually, the rats would refuse to eat unless another rat was present. Since more Think about that in society today, how we live today. <clears throat> Think about uh, all the people that are like, well, I don't want to go sit at a restaurant by myself. I don't want to be seen by the social crowd sitting there looking like a serial killer eating dinner by myself in a restaurant, right? I mean, we're at that stage now in our human existence where people don't want to go to the restaurant and eat alone. 30 of you here, 16 likes, hit the button, please. Yeah, you have to think about it, guys. This is where we're at as a society right now. People are like, well, I don't want to go to the, the feeder by myself. I, I need more rats to be around me. More rats tended to be in the center pens. This behavior meant that, over time, more and more rats made their way there, further condensing them. This heightened the proximity of an already cramped population. In the experiments with the powdered food, this effect was far less pronounced. With these factors combined, Calhoun noted what he called a behavioral sink, or an increase in pathological activity in the rats due to the stress involved in such high population density. For the females, the behavioral sink manifested in reduced capacity for nest building and young rear. Right. And this has been known information since like the 60s, guys. I mean, this is exactly what, uh, you know what I mean? Like, this is how you do it. They're following a pattern right now, allegedly. Allegedly, people are following a pattern that you would follow. If you were trying to cull the numbers, this is how you would do it. It wouldn't seem like you were doing it, and people wouldn't think that that's what you were doing. But... Infant rats are extremely dependent upon their mothers for nearly all things. However, under the effects of the behavioral sink, the mothers would often be interrupted in their nest-building practices to engage in some other social activity. As time wore on, this led to sparser nests which could not house the young properly. If a mother right. decided to move her litter, she often would only move some of them or scatter them about the pen in separate locations. What's more, when female rats are ready to mate, the males can sense it, and the enclosed space meant that a female could not escape the continuous advances of the males during these periods. Even when they would enter their nests for a reprieve, they would be followed in and harrowed. These factors together resulted in an extremely high infant mortality rate, in one case reaching 96%. For the males, this manifested in different ways. The dominant males would occasionally lash out in violence against the other members of the pen, including infants, uh. often biting and wounding their tails. Among the lower class males were three groups. The first he described as the homosexuals, which he immediately corrects as pansexuals, who would not compete for status, but would often attempt to mate with any other rat, regardless of gender or age. Much like in the end pens, these advances went unchallenged. The second Y'all still paying attention? The group he described as somnambulists, who moved slowly through the pen without interacting with other individuals in any fashion, and the other rats in turn ignored them, except in rare circumstances. These rats externally he described as fat, sleek, and healthy looking. But to him, the strangest group was the third, which he named the probers. 
These rats were hyperactive, hypersexual, and pansexual. Despite violence from the dominant males, they would viciously pursue females in heat, eschewing any sort of courtship ritual and following them into their burrows to mate. The simps. Later on in the experiments, they would often find the corpses of the improperly cared for young, which they would cannibalize. In time, one of Calhoun's assistants would publicly describe these pens as hell. At this point, Calhoun ended the experiments, but he predicted that these pathological changes would have eventually led to the deaths of the colonies. At their conclusion, he would take the four healthiest males and females and allow them to breed, but their behavior had been so inexorably altered that none of their pups survived beyond weaning. Yeah. This short article enraptured its US audience, and the effects on both the scientific world and popular culture were immediate. People began to relate Calhoun's rat experiments to modern city life, and in an era where fear of social deviance was reaching an extreme high, it was largely seen as a reflection of the current time and where society could be heading, egged on by Calhoun's provocative language and allegorical design of his test environment, made to look like a city. Population density quickly became a calm topic. Psychologist Carl Rogers, in his work, Some Social Issues Which... Yeah, <clears throat> sorry about the uh, slowdown, guys. It looks like that is on StreamYard's side again. So we're rapidly approaching the point where I don't use StreamYard anymore again, which is sad, but we're getting there. We Every time we stream now, we're, it's a lagging problem when it's not a problem on the other software concern me stated that, quote, the resemblance to human behavior is frightening. In humans, we see poor family relationships, the lack of caring, complete alienation, the magnetic attraction of overcrowding, the lack of involvement which is so great that it permits people to watch a long, drawn-out murder without so much as calling the police. Perhaps all city dwellers are inhabitants of a behavioral sink, unquote. Hmm. Soon after How about that? Perhaps all city dwellers are kind of some kind of, you know, in this behavioral loop. Now, I want you to expand on that a little further. What about not just silly city dwellers? Now that the phone is in the pocket and the world can come to you, now that social interaction and social behavior and your social presence can be viewed at mass anytime and be someone can send you a message on multiple platforms, don't you feel like that kind of... Um, wouldn't it give you that same level of anxiety in dealing with constant social, you know what I mean? Nobody's just disappearing and going to the lake without a phone and un, you can't get to them. I mean, that rarely do people do that. And usually the people do that you see that do that are the ones that are um, very well educated, uh, have money or motivated. But there's usually people that are fairly smart, fairly intelligent people there that are like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be available this weekend. We're going to the lake house and I'm not even taking my phone or uh, there's no signal. But the reality is there's maybe a little signal or they have Wi-Fi, but he's saying I'm not talking to anybody. And we're not talking about anything. After studies of dense urban environment disease effects directly to humans, but what they found was inconclusive and unsatisfying. Despite the suggestions of Calhoun's rats, humans in cities reacted differently or sometimes opposite the manner that researchers expected, depending on the location. No matter how- 
Yes, Lumberluck. Absolutely. Universe 25. Exactly. How they tried, no evidence of a widespread behavioral sink could be found in urban areas. But this did not dissuade Calhoun. Even as others explored the problem of overcrowding, Calhoun frantically continued his research. Now a celebrated success and emboldened by the public acceptance of his ideas, he resumed his work at NIM on an even larger scale, though again away from the public eye. He spent his time on new subjects as he continued to perfect his enclosures and experiments until finally, after 11 years, Calhoun revealed his magnum opus through an article he entitled Death Squared, which was published in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society of Medicine in January of 1973. Sounds like it was written about marriage, doesn't it? The lengthy opening to this article was undeniably apocalyptic. Calhoun wrote, I shall largely speak of mice, but my thoughts are on man, on healing, on life and evolution. Threatening life and evolution are the two deaths, death of the spirit and death of the body. Evolution, in terms of ancient wisdom, is the acquisition of access to the tree of life. Death of the body, uh, of course, we would associate that with the male and female, the gender. Shout out to Tribe of Men. He brought that up in his point earlier in his video, and I think that's very poignant. But uh, I'm going to give him credit for that one, because think about that. Death of the body could easily be seen, and as he's referring to it here, that could easily be seen as the only thing that separates us as bodies, men and women. Or however many genders they're up to now, I don't know, but you understand? Quote. He goes on to heavily reference revelations of the apocalypse, using them to proclaim that the Hippocratic Oath applies not only to the body, but to the spirit. After this dramatic introduction, he described his test. For the most part, these new experiments were similar to his 1963 trials, including unlimited access to food and water, protection from the elements and predators, and safeguards against disease. Many parts, however, were drastically altered. As Calhoun mentions in his introduction, the Norway rats used in his first publicized experiments were replaced with albino house mice, which were taken from a breeding group from the National Institutes of Health made specifically to prevent communicable disease. To fit his new subjects, Calhoun had designed an entirely new enclosure. This version was much more vertical, with 16 wall-mounted housing areas for the rats at the tops of long metal tubes, which Calhoun called walk-up apartments. At the bottom of each. And there has been some talk of this. I'll throw this in. This has been some talk that doesn't get a lot of like uh, people talking openly about it because of obviously the subject matter is kind of people get touchy about it. But uh, there was a man in history who was trying to quote unquote create this race of people that was like, you know, genetically superior, so to speak. So to speak. And some suggest that scientists at the time had proposed that these particular albino mice were less susceptible to, to diseases and, and so-and-so and et cetera and et cetera. And now, of course, the man was uh, a meth addict also, an amphetamine uh, person. So well, you don't want to put too much faith in that. But the idea of that has uh, been talked about and thrown around. Each apartment was a virtually unlimited supply of food, water, and nesting material. With the space provided, Calhoun estimated that it could potentially hold 3,840 mice. He named this enclosure Universe 25. Calhoun's methods also had changed. Rather than instituting population controls, he would interfere far less. 
His plan was to place eight mice in the enclosure, four male and... Remember that they said implementing population control. So in these experiments that very smart people have done over the past, the idea of population control is part of the experiment. So if you were someone who was a city planner, quote unquote, and you know what I mean, and you were uh, designing cities and you were you would plan at some point, how would we need, we would need at some point to have, you know, if we reach capacity, what's the contingency plan for, for reaching capacity on our city? They would need a plan for that. You know what I mean? Let's continue. But he's saying that he interfered less this time. Let's see if that had a greater impact on the downfall of this society. For female, of rats, you two. And simply watch and wait. Calhoun observed four distinct phases in the ensuing experiment. Phase A was predictable, constituting the time period before the first new mice were born, which ended up being 104 days. For the mice, these days were, quote, marked by considerable social turmoil. After the social order was established and the first brood was born, the population began Phase B, which Calhoun named the exploitation phase. During this yes. time, the mice doubled in number every 55 days as new young grew to maturity and had their own young. This doubling continued until day 315, after which the doubling rate slowed to a rate of 145 days, nearly three times as long. By this point, the different broods had clumped into one side of the pen, exhibiting the same sort of clumping as the Norway rats, but this time without any coaxing from Calhoun's designs. This change in the rate of procreation marked Phase C, which Calhoun labeled as the Stagnation Phase. This is when the most notable events occurred, and they eerily mirrored Calhoun's rat experiments. In a natural setting, those mice which find no social niche will leave the colony, but in this experiment, emigration was impossible, and so those forced to remain withdrew from society. These dejected males formed a large pool in the center of the enclosure. They quickly became characterized by both their inactivity and their missed scars and wounds. Occasionally, they would grow agitated and attack one another, and with nowhere to- <clears throat> We'll let the internet catch up to us. Isn't that amazing, guys, that the, the, uh, there was agitation there? There was an agitation rate that was natural within these uh, living, breathing, free-thinking things. Animals, so to speak. The mice we're talking about, of course. But look at society today. Is it so different? I mean, now the mice that might have been dejected by society and seen as outcast for their non-social behavior or their ridiculous social behavior are now seen as the heroes. And all of the mice who would have been seen as the dominant um, you know, safety net for the colony uh, are now seen as the bad guys. Let's let's continue. To retreat, the recipient of these attacks would simply lay still and endure the assault. The outcast females, rather than joining them, would retreat to the highest apartments and live quietly among one another. It was all the single ladies. All the single ladies. Sorry. During Sorry. this time, that the behavioral sink manifested with mice gathering around. So I can focus on my career around specific food hoppers in large numbers while others remained almost in Notice that these food hoppers here almost empty while all of the mice are at the other ones because all the mice want to be where all the mice are. 
You don't want to go to eat at a place where there's not a lot of other mice eating. You don't want to be seen as the, you want to be with everybody. You want to be social. You want to be, right? Remember, guys? This is how they try to get people. Be more social. Be social. Be social. Look. Look over here. Look at this. Look at this. Take a phone. Let's make sure we can get in touch with you. What's your email? What's your social? What's your phone number? What's your driver's license number? What's your bank number? What's your account number? What's your IMEI, your SIM number? Huh? Credit card pin. How many numbers do you have, guys? Let's be more social. Let's get more social. Let's be more involved with each other and more involved with the government, more involved with everything. Sometimes you need less social. And that's one of the things I try to teach you men. Unplug that shit. I don't have a Facebook, period, none. If you see one on there, it ain't me, it's fake. I have an Instagram, it's very small. It's just pretty much this. You can join it if you want to. It's gone with John, just like my name is spelled. There's no H, any other ones are fake. Let's continue. And live quietly among one another. It was during this time that the behavioral sink manifested, with mice gathering around specific food hoppers in large numbers, while others remained almost entirely untouched, showing how, again, the need for social interaction had become so intertwined with the need for food that the former had overtaken the latter. The males who had won the initial fights also were placed under extreme stress. As more and more mice reached maturity from within and without, the leaders of the social groups continually had to patrol and defend their territory. Eventually, they reached the point of exhaustion and could not defend the females within their group. These females were therefore forced to defend the nest themselves, even when nursing their young, leading to generalized aggressive behavior. This aggressive- I'm a strong, independent woman. I'm a strong, independent, aggressive, masculine woman. Guys, where have we heard that before? You think there's any correlation there? You think there's any uh, relative behavior there between these two? Anyone? I'm just asking, guys. This is how social animals interact. Over time, as things get easier, there's less predators. There's less things to be on your toes about. You get weaker. You get softer. Eventually, mentally, you just become a cold animal. Easily controllable. Aggression would inevitably be misdirected onto their young, who would be wounded. I'm going to rewind that a little. The, the, the mother's aggression would be misdirected onto the young mice. Were therefore forced to defend the nest themselves, even when nursing their young, leading to generalized aggressive behavior. This aggression would inevitably be misdirected onto their young, who would be wounded by their mothers and forced to leave the nest before they were finished weaning. Much like the rats, the mm -hmm. mother mice would also forget some of their young when moving from one nesting site to another. Due to the- Right, as you do, ladies. Mice, of course. Of course, mice, guys. YouTube really doesn't want y'all to hear this message, or whoever. StreamYard, I don't know. The added stress of defending their territory, sometimes the mothers would reabsorb unborn mice in the womb, further reducing the fertility rates. Calhoun writes, for all practical purposes, there had been a death of societal organization by the end of Phase C. Finally, there was Phase D, which Calhoun entitled the Death Phase. This phase was characterized largely by an entire generation of young who had been rejected by their mothers early and forced to leave the nest, and they were therefore unable to exhibit normal social behavior. This manifested in numerous ways. 
The females of this generation had far fewer children, and those that did have children lacked the maternal instincts necessary to raise them beyond weaning. Great point from days here. Some of the female rats started getting tattoos. <laughs> Calhoun goes on to describe the males of this generation. Quote, Male counterparts to these non-reproducing females were soon dubbed the beautiful ones. They never uh. engaged in sexual approaches toward females, and they never uh. engaged in fighting, and so they had no wound or scar tissue. Thus, their pelage remained in excellent condition. Their behavioral uh. repertoire... Does that sound like any men? Any, uh, you know, softer men? Sweeter men? I don't know what the word is, but you became know. ...became largely confined <coughs> to eating, drinking, sleeping, and grooming, none of which carried any social implications beyond that represented by contiguity of bodies." Unquote. As the last mice with reproductive instincts aged beyond their fertility, Calhoun declared that the last male would die around day 1780 of the experiment, effectively rendering the colony dead as it would be unable to produce any more young. His pre 700 and something days in, that's when the last male died and the colony was rendered useless. From that point on, there's no reproduction. There's no more rebuilding the colony. It's game over. It's, it's end of days for the rest. Present tense language implied that when the article was published, the colony was still technically alive, though its final fate was practically sealed. Yeah, without the, without the male rats to uh, reproduce, you know. Calhoun closed his- I would like to just point out that it sounds to me, if you heard that correctly, the last male rat died. Sounds like the females were all doing okay, huh? Huh? Think about that. They weren't doing the work. They weren't doing the... Right? But they, all the other male rats had been driven to basically exhaustion or to murdering themselves over the female rats. Fighting, guys. Right? This article with a call to action. For an animal so complex as man, there is no logical reason why a comparable sequence of events should not also lead to species extinction. If opportunities for role fulfillment fall far short of the demand by those capable of filling roles and having expectancies to do so, only violence and disruption of social organization can follow. Individuals born under these circumstances will be so out of touch with reality as to be incapable even of alienation. Their most complex uh. behaviors will become fragmented. Acquisition, creation, and utilization of ideas appropriate for life in a post-industrial, cultural, conceptual, technological society will have been blocked. Just as biological generativity in the mouse involves this species' most complex behaviors, so does ideational generativity for man. Loss of these respective uh. complex behaviors mean death of the species. Well, guys, good game. GG, everyone. It's been a lot of fun here on the mud ball with you guys. You know what I mean? I don't want to be too doom and gloom. I know some of you guys don't like that. I'm just saying that this is uh, this is where we're at right now. Guys. I mean, this is we're at that place pivotably where we're like, all right, people are not uh, coming together anymore. And it's because of the rat race. Guys, this is where we get this language from. Remember the rat race? You ever heard that term, that expression? Is it starting to make more sense to you now? I mean, as we continue to progress and everyone's chasing a little bit of money to be able to, you know, think about that.
Eric, you want to come on, buddy? I know you uh, have dealt with this individually. Did you say you want to? If you do, let me know. Good to see you, sir. I just think it's interesting, guys, that we're at this place right now, pivotally, pivot. We're at this point in time where people are like, yeah, it's too much to even, everybody's chasing the money. The, all, the female rats are all looking for the money, the food and the money. Because it all boils down to entertainment and food, money. They call it stability, but that's what it's all about. And in that, us men are destroying ourselves, beating ourselves up, beating every, all of it, all of it. Hmm. Would to come on and discuss this, John? What now? You would like to come on and discuss this? Is that what you're saying? If so, I will bring you on. Oh, he does one on. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. No worries. Either way, let's continue. But even as Lahoon was performing his research on had been at work applying his theories to humans. By this point, researchers had moved to more specific locations of overcrowding rather than the generalized location of cities, testing the effects on students in dormitories and patients at hospitals, but the most fruitful example they discovered was in prison. Oh, they were testing the effects on people? I'm sorry. What's that? What were they doing testing the what? Guys, you have to understand that they've been testing all kinds of things and all kinds of people. They gave soldiers LSD back in the day. I mean, think you have to. History is important. You got to read up on these things, guys. All these things that there's a world of things that took place before that if you were like, oh, man, damn, the government, the system, the they've been running tests on people all the time. And they're not smart, guys. No offense. You think they're smart. They're not. There was not long ago. 50 years ago, there was uh, they were going to build a new bay in Alaska, and it went in front of the government, and the government approved the idea to use 20 nuclear bombs to make a new bay in Alaska. They now know that that would have wiped out the entire population of the United States and made this land like damn near inhabitable, inhabitable for years. Uninhabitable, excuse me, for years. I mean, this is not a smart group of people. If you look back in history, there was a time when they gave blankets to Native Americans. Those blankets had smallpox in it, which I don't know if you know, but if you introduce a terrible biological thing into an environment, it can certainly affect your environment since you live in a very same, similar environment of the, you know what I mean? Anyways, let's continue. Paul Paulus from the University of Texas wrote that prisons were the perfect place for this sort of study, describing the social interaction between inmates as intense, prolonged, inescapable, and realistic. The prison in uh -huh. the study also offered the closest analog to Calhoun's rat experiments, since the prisoners could not escape the company of other animals. There, they found connections between over-socialization right. and violence, psychopathy, and stress. After such studies, environmental. All right, I'm going to rewind it. Y'all listen. They found connections between over socialization and suicide. Sorry, YouTube. Unaliving yourself. Over socialization 
and that were found to go together hand in hand. Let's continue. Escapable and realistic. The prison in the study also offered the closest analog to Calhoun rat experiments since the prisoners could not escape the company of others in their communal cells. There they found connections between over-socialization and suicide, violence, psychopathy, and stress. After such studies, environmental psychologists began to discover the problem. They identified two different kinds of density, physical density and social density. Physical density was the amount of space per person, while social density was the number of individuals occupying a space. They found that social density was the much more important factor. Thanks, John. I appreciate you uh, supporting the channel, my brother. Appreciate you, sir. Have a good one, man. As individuals in high social density were unable to control their interactions with others. Based on this research, human environments could be designed to at least partially mitigate these issues, allowing those living within them the privacy they needed to maintain. So they know that it could be designed better to better be healthier for the human brain and human interactions in a whole, in general. They could do that, that they know that this is, but the almighty dollar, the, pri the, the uh, profit is what they are after. Sunflower, also Tribe of Men did a video on this yesterday. Yeah, my man, I mentioned that at the beginning of this live stream and we linked to Tribe of Men's uh, channel as well and encouraged the men to go over and follow him also. I saw his video, it was fantastic. I've had a lot of people request this one also, so we are finally do it. But yeah, man, Tribe is, is awesome. I love his videos. So let's get back in. Maintain healthy social interaction. Outside of scientific discourse, Calhoun rhetoric has maintained its strength through the years with different groups of all political persuasions bending his results to support their views on social degradation, however they may define it. Among more scholarly sources, Calhoun has been both lauded and criticized for his work. Those who support him cite his forward thinking about overpopulation, while those who deride him cite his misrepresentation of the actual social problems within cities, guiding discourse away from the true causes of societal discord. But no matter what those in the modern day think of his research, his influence on the way America views its cities is undeniable. It's pretty crazy, guys. I mean, when you think about it, that's pretty, that's pretty nuts, guys. There you go. Let's get you backed out. You don't need to be that close. What up? What's up, guys? It's Johnny. How are you? Welcome back to the stream. How is everybody? It's a beautiful day. Ladies, how are we? Good to see everybody. Uh, I will check that out, Eric. I got the uh, link you sent me, my man. I got to investigate and see what that's all about, but we might include it in another video. Good to see y'all. <clears throat> Let's see how many people are in here. 23 people in here. 23 likes. Boys, that sounds crazy. Good to see everybody. Let's see where we're at. Right at an hour, right where I want to be. Guys, I will see you boys this evening. We're hoping to do a live stream a little bit later on this evening, probably around 5, 6 o'clock. I'll try to get it scheduled soon so that the notifications will go out to you guys so that you will know. Don't forget, you can hit me on the Cash App. You can drop a super chat, super chat, super thanks, whatever, uh, if you want to support the channel. It's the first of the month, so rent is due for your boy. So cash out, guys. Good to see everybody. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. I see 23 likes. I don't know how many I said, but I see 23. Or you see 24. Oh, well, maybe someone's hidden or blocked or I can't see them. But anywho, good to see everybody. Let's close it out. Green Lord, thank you so much. Super sticker, sir. Good to see you. Appreciate the love and support, boys. We'll see you tonight. Here's some music. You guys want some music on here or what, man? Let's find out where we at. Here we go, boys. Uh, uh, uh. Boy, there's so many great ones here to choose from. I don't even know what to do. Um, no, you don't need to hear that. Let's play this one here, guys. Good to see you. Guys. Well, we played that earlier. We'll end it with Corpse. I know what you like. Feel like lightning when you lie to me Can't trust the soul, I'm dealing silently, silently We fall out like leaves on autumn trees Wish I could be what I ought to be, ought to be I don't wanna focus on the problems I'm still not gonna move and move and try to live and try I'ma be the only one to finish when it started The living legacy until you're better